0: How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I am your host, Lindsay, and today we're continuing down this punk segment by talking about the one and only number one punk band that I consider to be like the formative punk band ever of all time, The Ramones. Yes, we're finally here. So there's quite a bit of information on The Ramones, and this one might be a long one. So get yourself ready, have a snack on hand, do whatever you got to do, get comfortable, because there's a lot of albums and there's a lot of information to go through. So literally, without my usual spiel in the beginning, I'm just going to get right on into the nitty gritty of it. So, the Ramones. The original members of the band met in Forest Hills in the New York City borough of Queens. This is the thing where their last name isn't Ramone and they're not brothers, which I thought in the beginning, when I was just like a young kid looking at the Ramones, and they all looked very similar. I was like, oh, surely they must be brothers because the band name is the Ramones and they all look similar. Nay, nay. That is not what happened here. There's John Cummings, who's Johnny Ramone, and Tommy Ramone. There's the two of them. They're friends. They had both been in a high school garage band together from 1965 to 1967, known as the Tangerine Puppets, which is quite an interesting name. They both became friends with Douglas Colvin, who is D.D. Ramone. And D.D. Ramone, at that point in time, had recently moved to Queens from Germany. And Joey Ramone was the singer for the glam rock band Sniper, which was founded in 1972. So they all were living in Queens and they were all schoolmates. They kind of knew of each other. Um, And what I thought was really interesting about the Ramones as well was learning about their influences. Like, what were they influenced by? Because, you know, this was, to me, one of the first punk bands. I know at the time there was the New York Dolls, which I believe came out before the Ramones did. But there really wasn't such a thing as punk, necessarily. I mean, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, I know that the Ramones really liked Iggy Pop, because what they were saying when I was researching this was... They were really influenced by rock and roll and the rock and roll sound and blues, particularly. They liked the Beatles, for example. They were actually massive Elvis fans as well. Elvis comes full circle yet again. They liked the Rolling Stones. They liked all those other kind of classic bands at the time, you know, the Kinks, Jimi Hendrix. You know, they liked all of those bands and musicians, and they were mostly fascinated with bringing rock and roll music back into the mainstream because, you know, at this time music was changing. So that's where they got their inspiration from. Obviously, the Ramones as a punk band, but there really wasn't a whole lot of punk to really be inspired by at the time, so they kind of had to make their own way about things. The Ramones as a band formed in early 1974 when Johnny and Dee Dee invited Joey to join them in a band. Didi was the first person in the band to adopt the name Ramon, calling himself Didi Ramon. And then this just kind of so happened to be the thing that they would always do. Like when new people would join the band, they would give them a new name and then call them Ramon. And what I thought was also really, really fascinating was Didi Ramon said that he was inspired to use the name Ramon because back in the early formation of the Beatles, before they were called the Beatles, the band was called the Silver Beatles and paul mccartney used a pseudonym at the time called paul ramon sometimes like just for fun or when they would like go perform somewhere they would just like call each other stupid names right so paul used the pseudonym paul ramon and them being massive beatles fans dd Dee Dee ramon was like that's such an interesting name i'm gonna use this and so that's kind of where the name ramon comes from it all comes back to elvis and the beatles in some kind of fashion which i think is really cool And Didi was convincing the other people in the band to kind of take on this concept of calling each other the Ramones. And so that's where it all comes from, which is so high key fascinating to me. So a friend of the band, Monty Melnick, who would later be their tour manager, Monty comes in and he helped to arrange rehearsal time for the group at... Manhattan's performance studios where he worked now Tommy Ramone at this time was not in the band as a member he actually was friends with Monty he was actually the band's producer so the Ramones would come in and they would rehearse in the studio and Tommy would help to produce their music and things like that and Tommy would actually take on a lot of producing credits throughout the the band's inception and their later albums and things like that. Um so that's where Tommy got his start. He initially was not a member of the band at this point in time. Soon after the Ramones was formed, Dee Dee realized that he couldn't sing and play bass guitar at the same time. So Joey then became the band's new lead singer. Great. Now what I thought was really cool as well was Dee Dee would continue in rehearsals to count off each song with his shout of one, two, three, four, and then they would go. So that's just like the classic example how something as really insignificant as that one, two, three, four call would be so synonymous with the Ramones because they would use that, I think, in like almost every single song, especially with like Blitzkrieg Bop and some other ones. I can't recall off the top of my head right now, but I mean, just something as like silly and innocuous as that becomes so incredibly famous. I just like that. Dee Dee was like, right, I can't sing and play bass at the same time. Joey, you become the lead singer, awesome, great. Well, Joey was like, um, I can't also (laughs) sing and play drums at the same time. So I am not gonna play drums anymore and I'm gonna be just the lead singer, cool. So now they're left without a drummer. So what are they to do? They audition people to be the drummer. Well, as people were coming in to audition as the drummer, Tommy didn't even know how to play drums at this point. He was just kind of instructing these guys on how to play the drums that would fit the Ramon style. So he would go on the drums and physically show these people that were auditioning how to play the beat, how to do the drums and things like that. And it became apparent that Tommy was able to perform the group's music better than anyone else. So it was at this point that Tommy naturally fit the role of drummer and he became the official last member of the band. So now he is Tommy Ramone. So now the Ramones are officially a band and they are now classically the Ramones. So they played before an audience for the first time on March 30th, 1974 at Performance Studios. And around this time, a new music scene was emerging in New York that centered in two clubs in particular in downtown Manhattan. One of them was called Max's Kansas City and another one was called CBGB. That's kind of a tongue twister, CBGB. And the Ramones made their (laughs) CBGB debut on August the 16th, 1974 and they would kind of make a home at this club here. This would be where like everyone knew of the Ramones there. Like this is where it would kind of be their homestead. They absolutely loved this club. So Legs McNeil, who was the co-founder of Punk Magazine, later describes the impact of this performance as such. They were all wearing these black leather jackets and they counted off this song and it was all just a wall of noise. They looked so striking. These guys were not hippies. This was something completely new. So like I mentioned, the Ramones, they became regulars at this club and they played 74 times there by the end of 1974. So this was where, again, they would make their homestead. Everyone knew the Ramones, like the managers, the owners, everyone knew them. The regulars that would come into the club, like it was all just a massive big family. After garnering a lot of attention for their performances at this club, the Ramones was signed to a recording contract in late 1975 to Sire Records, and they were to stay with Sire Records for an extremely long time. And by this time, the Ramones were recognized as leaders as the new scene that was increasingly being referred to as punk. So the Ramones were being recognized kind of now as the new leaders of punk. The group's unusual frontman obviously. had a lot to do with their impact because Joey was extremely tall and lanky and he had this hair that just hid behind everything. It covered his eyes. He wore these big, like, glasses. Like, you couldn't see anything from him. He was quite an enigma. They just had a really unique, interesting way about them. It almost made them look cartoonish, which is, I think, why it kind of made them stand out a bit more. They just looked so different and they sounded different as well. Dee Dee later explained all the other singers in New York were copying David Johansson of the New York Dolls, who himself was copying Mick Jagger. But Joey was unique, totally unique. So the Ramones recorded their debut album called Ramones in February of 1976. Of the 14 songs on the album, the longest called I Don't Want to Go Down to the Basement barely made it to the two and a half minute mark. Um, So I was kind of saying this in my Clash episode that I did last week, where punk songs, they're generally very short. They're like almost like a bomb. They just come at you hard and fast, and they're only like very, very, very short, like a minute, a minute and a half, maximum maybe two minutes, possibly. So their longest at this point was two and a half minutes, which... To us is very short, but for the punk genre was very typical of the time. And this album was produced by Sires Craig Leon with Tommy as associate producer on an extremely low budget of about $6,400. Their debut album, Ramones, released in April of 1976. And the iconic front cover photograph of the band that we all kind of know and think about when we think about the Ramones was taken by Roberta Bailey, a photographer for Punk Magazine. And the album was met with very, very positive reviews. Even though it was met with all of this positive, you know, reviews and the fans were enjoying it and things like that, um, it actually wasn't a commercial success. This did pretty poorly because it only went to number 111 on the Billboard album chart for that year. Um, but the fanfare, the, the hype for it with the fans was where it mostly was met with positive reviews. The two singles from the album, Blitzkrieg Bop, didn't even chart. And then the second single from the album, I Want to Be Your Boyfriend, also didn't chart. It's just funny how like at the time people were very confused, I think, especially the music critics about what was going on with punk. Like, what is this sound? It's very foreign to us. So it didn't chart at all. The album didn't chart. The singles didn't chart. It kind of like was almost like a failure in terms of like the success for, how would you say that? The mainstream, right? But when it came to the fanfare, that's where it was at. At the band's first major performance outside of New York, which was in Ohio, members of the Cleveland punk band called the Dead Boys began a friendship with the Ramones. And so now at this point in time, the Ramones are branching out a little bit more and they're starting to make friends with the other punk bands. And then we're going to make it to where they go to London, which is so... A performance at the Roundhouse in London on July the 4th, 1976 was a huge success. T-Rex leader Mark Boland was there and was invited on stage to play the guitar, which is incredible. So now we're coming into the year 1976. There are so many punk bands around, especially in London. The following night, July the 5th, 1976, the Ramones met members of the Sex Pistols and The Clash. And this event totally helped to solidify the beginnings of the UK punk rock scene in particular. Because The Clash were honestly just starting out at this point. The Sex Pistols already had somewhat of a following, but they were still somewhat relatively coming into it as well. So the three powerhouses, The Clash, The Sex Pistols, and The Ramones being in the same place at the same time, its just honestly, mind-blowing to me. So their following two albums, Leave Home and Rocket to Russia, they were released in 1977. Both were produced by Tommy and Tony Bon Jovi. Now, you obviously know the name Bon Jovi. This is not John Bon Jovi. However, Tony Bon Jovi is the second cousin of John Bon Jovi, which I think is really interesting. Like, hmm, John Bon Jovi, a family member of his, being producers for Ramon's albums. That's very fascinating to me. So their album, Leave Home, was met with even less chart success than their debut album, although it did include the songs Pinhead, which became one of the band's signature songs. Leave Home also included a fast-paced cover of the song California Sun, which I really love. That's a great song. I like that one. Their third album, Rocket to Russia, was the band's highest charting album to date by this point. It reached number 49 on the Billboard 200, so... It actually went somewhere, which was nice. The album also featured the first Ramones single to enter the Billboard charts called Sheena is a Punk Rocker, which, I don't know if that's my favorite Ramones song, but it's one of my favorites, honestly. Sheena's a Punk Rocker, that is such a great one. The follow-up single Rockaway Beach reached number 66, which is the highest any Ramones single would ever reach in America, ever. I mean, number 66. Considering how integral the Ramones are, For the punk genre, how famous they are, in hindsight, for a song of theirs to only ever reach number 66 and it never went higher than that is kind of really a shame. So Tommy was tired of touring at this point in time. I mean, they were touring all over America. They were touring all over England and some parts of Europe and things like that. It just became too much for Tommy. So he left the band in early 1978. This would kind of start the transitional period where they were trying to find other members, drummers particularly, to like come in and fit the bill and try to make the Ramones sound as good as they did on their first three albums, which is kind of hard to do, but that's kind of where this whole transitional period started. He would continue to act as the Ramones' record producer, so that's nice. He just kind of left the band in the respect of, he didn't want to be a member anymore. So his position as drummer was filled by Mark Bell, who had been a member of the early 1970s hard rock band called Dust. And he adopted the name Marky Ramone. So later that year, the band released their fourth studio album, and it was their first with Marky Ramone called Road to Ruin. The album included some new sounds such as acoustic guitar and had several ballads on it. And the first two recorded songs longer than three minutes wow mind-blowing like wow longer than three minutes for a punk song wow no truly like i sound sarcastic but like it's kind of revolutionary at the time unfortunately it failed to reach the billboard top 100 i mean what can you do about it however the song from the album i want to be sedated which became one of the album singles would become one of the band's best known songs and i love that song so much with my heart and soul it is so good the artwork for the album's cover was done by punk magazine co-founder josh holstrom so punk magazine also kind of had a lot to do with the ramones they kind of went hand in hand with each other which i thought was also really cool so the interesting thing about the ramones is they made their movie debut in a movie called rock and roll high school and this was done in 1979 and it was produced by phil specter now say what you want about phil spector i've heard some absolutely crazy things about phil spector like he is a nutcase right i think we all know this right phil spector though was kind of a genius in this way with rock and roll high school because this as well the song that the ramones does also became one of their biggest hits but this movie from what i've heard from what i haven't seen the film but from what i've heard it did very well for the band so So Phil Spector became interested in the Ramones and produced their follow-up album in 1980 called End of the Century. Now, again, I've heard so many crazy things about this Phil Spector guy. It wouldn't surprise me if some of the things that I've heard are true. But there was a long disputed rumor that during the recording session for End of the Century, Phil Spector held Johnny Ramone at gunpoint, forcing him to repeatedly play a riff until he got it right. Which, honestly, sounds kind of insane. However, I wouldn't put it past Phil Spector to do that, so I could believe that rumor. I I really could believe it. It's all down to interpretation. Do you think it's true? I kind of think there's some truth to that. So, uh, though it was to be the highest charting album in the band's history, reaching number 44 in the U.S. and 14 in the U.K., Johnny Ramone made it clear that he liked the band's more aggressive punk material, and he considered end-of-the-century to be watered-down Ramones, that it wasn't the real Ramones. You know, at this point in time, they had already come out with a couple of albums under their belt, and their first few were extremely integral and blueprints for the punk genre, so... They're trying something a little bit different here. Um, You know, it's not so much as the raw punk sound that they once were, but they're incorporating other elements in their music, like acoustics and like ballads and other weird things like that. And I could see how some of the members just weren't really interested. You know, I honestly don't put it past Johnny to hate this album. Their follow-up album, which was their sixth, was called Pleasant Dreams, and it was released in 1981, and it followed suit with End of the Century, where, you know, it was the same kind of sound. It took away the band's raw punk sound, and it kind of, again, was very focused on expanding their musical horizons, which, you know, some people don't really think it was that great. It was described in an article in the magazine called Trouser Press that the Ramones were moving away from their pioneering minimalism into heavy metal territory, which is interesting. Johnny Ramone would contend in retrospect that this direction was a record company decision and not a band decision. He said that this was an attempt to get airplay on American radio because, yeah, okay, listen, a lot of their albums didn't really chart that well, right? And for a music company, for a record label, what's their number one goal? To get their artist played on the radio, played on TV, get sales from their vinyl and cassettes and a tracks and things like that. So for the Ramones to not really reach that standard, you know, they were trying, the record label, they were trying to do whatever they could to get the Ramones On the american radios what do you have to do to get on the american radio be completely watered down and be contemporary which the ramones are not contemporary so i could see how the ramones were just kind of not wanting to engage in that discourse at all while pleasant dreams reached number 58 in the u.s chart its two singles failed to register at all so again not really doing the best here their first few albums while they didn't chart at all the the hype about them was so much greater but then as they kept going on it just became a bit stale and like weird and people just were not having it at this point. Cause this is the eighties as well, by the way, like not to say that punk was dead in the eighties, but in the eighties at this point, you had so many other genres. You had like new wave, you had electro, you had synth, like you had so many other emerging genres that for the Ramones to come in here and make any kind of splash, they had to do something eclectic. So I don't really, I don't judge them too harshly for their alternate direction. So their next album, Subterranean Jungle, was released in 1983 and it brought the band back to where they once belonged. Billy Rogers, who had once performed with Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers, played drums on the album's second single called Time Has Come Today. The album peaked at number 83 in the U.S. and it would be the last album by the Ramones to crack the Billboard Top 100. So and that to a record company is almost like certain death they probably were not happy with the ramones at all so again they were struggling to like hold down the fort with the members right so after the release of subterranean jungle marky was fired from the band due to his alcoholism and he was replaced by richard reinhardt who adopted the name richie Ramone. joey Ramone remarked that richie saved the band as far as i'm concerned he's the greatest thing to happen to the ramones he put the spirit back in the band I'm glad that he thought that. That's obviously very important. Richie is the only Ramones drummer to sing lead vocals on any Ramones songs, including You Can't Say Anything Nice, as well as the unreleased song called Elevator Operator. Joey Ramone would also comment that Richie's very talented and he's very diverse. He really strengthened the band 100% because he sings backing tracks. He sings lead. He sings with Dee Dee stuff. In the past, it was always just me singing for the most part. Richie was also the only drummer to be the sole composer of Ramon's songs, including their hit, Somebody Put Something In My Drink. So Richie kind of did a lot for the band. Like he was the first drummer in the band to do a lot of stuff that the band had never really contemplated before. So I think that's cool. Joey as well (laughs) would also comment on Richie's songwriting contributions that, I encouraged Richie to write songs. I figured it would make him feel more a part of the group because we never let anybody else write our songs. So yeah, Richie's coming in here and he's really like amping up the vibe of the band. His composition, somebody put something in my drink, remained a staple in the Ramones set list until their last show in 1996. The first album of the Ramones, recorded with Richie, was called Too Tough to Die, and it was released in 1984. The album marked a shift to something like the band's original sound, so they were like trying to kind of circumnavigate back to the original sound. It could never obviously sound exactly like how they used to, but they were like trying to get there in a roundabout way. In 1985, it was kind of a stale year for the Ramones. Their main release was the British single Bonzo Goes to Bitburg. Though it was available in the U.S. only as an import, it played widely on American college radio, which that's also another way to do it. You know, to circumnavigate going to the main radio airplay, you will go to, like, college radios and, like, indie radios and things like that. Like, get get the kids involved, you know? Like, get the young people involved, which is kind of what... I think this music, like, is calling for. Like, that's, I think, their key market, right? The demographic is, like, young kids or young adults, right? In 1986, the band recorded their last album with Richie called Halfway to Sanity. Richie would leave in August 1987 after financial issues with Johnny Ramone that kind of centered around him being refused a small percentage of the merchandising money. So Richie thought he was being shafted. And that he wasn't getting the money due to the merchandise that he thought he should be owed. And so he bailed and he said, peace out. I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. So Richie was again replaced by Clem Burke, who was from Blondie at this time. Blondie at this time was disbanded too. So it kind of just made sense for Clem to come in and Blondie. That's, you know what? I don't really think of Blondie as a punk band, but Blondie did kind of step into the scene with those kind of punk people so it it makes sense to me that clem would come in and be the drummer for the ramones like it makes sense in my mind so according to johnny ramone the performances with Clem burke who weirdly adopted the name of elvis ramone okay were a complete disaster so johnny was like this guy no way (laughs) he was fired after two performances notably august the 28th and 29th of 1987 because his drumming couldn't keep up with the rest of the band. I mean, okay. You know what? Clem comes from Blondie who again, like I like I kind of said, wasn't really a punk band and the Ramones were like hardcore, fast-paced, like unrelenting like punk music, right? And Clem's trying to come in here and trying to acclimate himself and there's like no way that that could ever happen. I mean, also, who would give him the name Elvis Ramone? Like I think clem ramon sounds a bit better than elvis ramon like come on who decided that i just i have to laugh it's like all right so clem was out clem was gone he was like bye you can't come in this band anymore johnny kicked him out no more in september 1987 marky who was now clean and sober returned to the band so he was coming in here marky mark joined the band again So now we're skipping ahead into the year 1988 in December. The Ramones recorded material for their 11th, yeah, their 11th studio album, which was supposed to be a quote-unquote comeback for the band. Now, this is funny because the band, (laughs) by this point in time, would have a lot more quote-unquote comeback albums that weren't comeback albums, really. It's just kind of funny. They had at least maybe three, a couple of comeback quote-unquote albums. This album was called Braindead. Dee Dee Ramone would say that members of the band, including himself, were going through a lot of personal troubles and obviously interpersonal problems as well. And he got to the point where he didn't want to be in the band anymore. Dee Dee was like, I'm gone. I don't want to be here anymore. Peace out. Although Braindead received mixed reviews upon its release in early 1989, the album included the band's highest charting hit in America called Pet Cemetery," And yeah, that is absolutely a great song as well. Despite not wanting to be in the band anymore, Didi was present for the world tour of Braindead and played his last show with the Ramones on July 5th, 1989 at One Step Beyond in Santa Clara. And then at this point he was replaced yet again, the revolving door of musicians coming in here. He was replaced by Christopher Joseph Ward who went by CJ Ramone and CJ would be the last person to kind of be the newbie in the group until the Ramones would eventually disband in the 90s. Didi initially, weirdly enough, I don't understand this correlation, but Didi initially pursued a brief career as a rapper under the name Dee Dee King. Maybe he's like, you know what, rap just isn't my shtick, like I, you know, I, I, hey, I gave it a shot, I failed, (laughs) I can't rap, I'm just gonna stick to punk, and so therefore, Dee Dee quickly returned to punk rock and formed several bands, although he continued to write songs for the Ramones, he just never rejoined them. So. Similarly to like Tommy, right? He just kind of kept like a close eye on the Ramones and was kind of somewhat still in the band, but like, not really. So after being at Sire Records for a whopping 15 years, which is very, very loyal, could this have been like one of the things that made the Ramones not work as well anymore? Who knows? But the Ramones moved to a new label called Radioactive Records. And their first album under this new label was Their 1992 album, Mondo Bizarro. This again was their anticipated comeback album. It was certified gold in Brazil after selling 100,000 copies and it was the first gold certification the Ramones were ever awarded. So at least the fans in Brazil were hyping this album up. This was not their comeback album, although they were marketing it as their comeback album yet again. It just was not. The album's lead single called Poison Heart was another top 10 hit in the U.S. for the band, so that's kind of like the running theme. The album itself did horribly, but some of the tracks, like maybe one or two of the tracks, would be popular hits. Acid Eaters was another album that they would come out with in 1993, which was consisting of mostly covers, no new material, just kind of an easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl kind of cover album, if you will, so. 1995, the Ramones would release their 14th and final studio album, thank God, because at this point it's like, come on, 14 studio albums, where do you draw the line? You have to stop at some point. Their final album was aptly called Adios Amigos and announced that they would be disbanding the following year in 96. Unfortunately, the sales were generally not really that great so even their actual final album was not even that great so yeah they knew they had to throw the towel in at some point like yeah we give in we're done this is too much you know again especially considering a lot of interpersonal issues within the band was making it kind of hard for them to continue on any further than that also some of the band members were very sick and they couldn't go on anymore. The band spent late 1995 on what was promoted as a farewell tour. However, they accepted an offer to appear in the 6th Lollapalooza Festival, which actually toured around the U.S. during the following summer. I did a whole episode on Lollapalooza. It initially started as an actual kind of tour um, before it became a destination festival. So they were touring around with Lollapalooza at this time in '96. And then after the conclusion of Lollapalooza, the Ramones played their actual final show on August the 6th, 1996 at the Palace in Hollywood. And you know what? They actually had a lot of people coming in there to support them. They actually, as well, recorded the concert later, which would be released on video and as a CD called We're Outta Here. So, okay, one final album for the record label to give to the fans before the Ramones have ceased to exist anymore. So, Dee Dee actually came back for this final farewell show. And the show also featured several guests, including Lemmy from Motorhead, Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden, and Ben Shepard and Rance's tim armstrong and lars frederickson so they have a lot of people in there that supported them now i have not listened to this live album so i can't contend if it's good or not but with all of these awesome people on here i fail to see how it could be bad i would imagine it's good i don't know i would hope that maybe it would be good now the band has split what do they do now well joey had been diagnosed with lymphoma in 1995 right So Joey was sick. He did not have a lot of time left on this planet. And he died of lymphoma on April the 15th, 2001 in New York. So unfortunately, you know, a lot of the members of the group kind of were upset with the fact that that they couldn't make up with Joey before he passed away. You know, maybe they thought they had more time, but unfortunately, it just couldn't really happen that way. Joey and Marky, who had been involved in a feud as well, buried the hatchet together and made up on the Howard Stern show in 1999. So this video of them at the Howard Stern show is on YouTube, actually, and it's genuinely a really interesting show. I mean, of course, Howard Stern kind of pokes the bear and kind of like it kind of provokes Joey and Marky and things like that to kind of like get it all together and things like that. It just was not really that great. Um, So if you want to watch, it's on YouTube. Go for it. You know, Joey and Richie had a close friendship during their time together in the band. And, you know, Richie expressed sadness of not being able to reconnect with Joey before he passed. So um, unfortunately, that's kind of how it ended with Joey there. Joey passed away in 2001. On March the 18th, 2002, the Ramones were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which specifically named the original members Dee Dee, Johnny, Joey, Tommy, and Marky. So all of those guys together. Green Day ended up playing Teenage Lobotomy, Rockaway Beach, and Blitzkrieg Bop as a tribute. So it's interesting how like now we're in the 2000s, right? And Green Day at this time is, I think, one of the most well-known punk bands in terms of like the resurgence of the genre, right? So it's just interesting how like the Ramones can bridge the gap between so many eclectic people coming together and Green Day playing a tribute to them. I have to see that, honestly. I'm just talking to myself now. I have to see that. I need to know what that sounded like. I need to see that. Green Day were great. The ceremony was one of Dee Dee's last public appearances as he was found dead on June the 5th, 2002 from a heroin overdose. That's just, I mean, that's so tragic. On November the 30th, 2003, New York City unveiled a sign designating East 2nd Street at the corner of bowery as joey ramone place he lived on east 2nd for a time and the sign is near the former bowery site of the club that they were starting out at the cbgb club i still can't say that that's such a tongue twister CBGB. johnny unfortunately was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 1999 and he ended up passing away on september 15th 2004 in los angeles So the members are now kind of dwindling away. You know, they're all succumbing to their illnesses here. On the same day as Johnny's death, what a coincidence, the world's first Ramones Museum opened its doors to the public in Berlin, Germany. The museum featured more than 300 items of memorabilia. On October the 8th, 2004, Joey, Cece, Clem, Burke, and Daniel Ray performed in the Ramones Beat on Cancer concert, which is nice. Two of the members had died of cancer. I mean, you know, that's just kind of the thing that you do. You know, that that's really sweet. The Ramones were also inducted into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame in 2007. I did not know that Long Island had its own Hall of Fame of music. I genuinely was like gobsmacked when I read this fact. I was like, who else is in there? Probably other bands that were a part of like the Manhattan Long Island kind of thing. They're like, that's so interesting, but that's cool. In 2011, the group was honored with a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. So listen, they're just stacking up the the, the awards now, the accolades. On April the 30th, 2014, their debut album, Ramones, became certified gold after selling 500,000 copies 38 years after its release, which to me, that doesn't seem like enough. For their debut album to only get certified gold, it doesn't seem like enough. It needs more. Five hundred thousand copies is like is like nothing compared to like so many other people that I I don't know maybe I'm maybe it's just me, but I think it needs to be more than gold. I mean, that's just crazy. And then unfortunately, Joey Ramone died on July the eleventh, two thousand fourteen, after a battle with bile duct cancer. So a lot of them died from cancer. That's just I mean that's so so tragic when that happens. And to wrap it up nicely, to kind of put a bow on the whole thing on October the 30th 2016 the band had a street in Queens named after them the intersection of 67th Avenue and 110th Street in front of the main entrance of Forest Hills High School was officially named the Ramones Way it kind of nicely ends the episode right then and there wow guys honestly I learned a lot about the Ramones just from researching them for this podcast and I think it's an absolute travesty that the Ramones were not given enough mainstream credit throughout most of their career. I mean, they had, of course, the fanfare, right? Everyone knows of them to be the, I think, integral punk band, right? In in terms of at least maybe the American side of things. You have the Sex Pistols, obviously, and others. But the Ramones, they're the band I think of when I think of punk, you know, for sure. And maybe in some aspects, they're maybe more palatable than maybe kind of the nitty gritty kind of raw tenacity that like the Sex Pistols had, maybe. Maybe the Ramones in some ways was more digestible. It's just unfortunate, like, that they just didn't really get the mainstream accolades that they really deserve to have. I mean, I'm still lamenting on this. Their debut album was only certified gold in 2014 by it only making and selling 500,000 copies 38 years later. I mean, it needs more than that. So I'm going to make a plea to you guys. If you somehow don't know the Ramones or you haven't really given them a chance or you maybe only know one song from them and you're like, whatever. No, seriously, listen to them, please. I beg of you, listen to them because you have to give them a chance. Give the Ramones a chance. Listen to them. You will not be disappointed. So. I'm going to end this episode here. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you guys have an awesome day and that you learned something today that you hadn't known about before. I will see you guys next Wednesday with another episode of On The Mix. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, guys.